Hello and welcome back. This is Robert Fleming, one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. I'm sitting across from one of the other partners, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Elizabeth, welcome back from your recent trip. You actually took like uh, something that looked like a vacation. It was an interesting trip. I did take a vacation and it was uh, much needed. Well, welcome back. We missed you. I wanted to talk today about something that happens a lot with our clients. A client will come in and say, uh, my dad left a trust for my brother and, um, and I need to know what I need to do to set up the trust. And the first question, of course, that we ask is, can we see the da- your dad's will or trust or whatever it is that, that established or said to create a trust? But let's assume that that's what, that's what dad's will says. What do you have to do to set up, quote, set up a trust? Well, Robert, this is a great question. We see it come up with folks who come in really confused because they say, my dad told me he created a trust, and when he died that I was supposed to be trustee, and they're digging around in boxes of old paper and trying to find the trust. Well, it just so happens that the trust provisions are baked into either the will or they're baked into the trust itself. And what we know is that in with wills, you can have testamentary trust, meaning that a will will create a trust. So upon the death of the decedent, the person or the testator, the person who created the will, under the terms of the will, a trust might be created. And we call those testamentary trusts. So when people start looking around and they say, well, my dad told me he was gonna create a trust when he died, but all I have is a will. Well, actually, the trust provisions might be baked into the will. Right, Robert? Absolutely right. And so often people think that they are coming to see us to pay an additional fee to write a document that will be the trust. When, in fact, dad's will or trust or mom's or the, or the parent's will or trust includes the provisions for the for the trust for the brother. Now, is this different for a special needs trust? No, Robert, actually, you can have a special needs trust that is baked into the body of a will or that is baked into a trust. We see that very, very, very often. What is unique, Robert, is, is that the terms of a special needs trust are not the same terms that you're going to see in a standard irrevocable trust that might be created for you or for me. And so when we look at the terms of a special needs trust, in fact, um, you may have a few pages of details and provisions around the way that that trust is intended to operate. I think one of the reasons people get confused is because if we were to write a standalone special needs trust for your brother, it might be eight or ten pages long. It would have a lot of provisions about what kinds of things the trust could be used for or couldn't be used for and, uh, and some specific language. Whereas the trust that your dad created in his will is probably about three or four paragraphs long. It just isn't as much detail as the, as the standalone trust. But Robert, it is, I think your, your point's important for our listeners to, to pay close attention to. The special needs trust that might be created under the terms of a will or within a trust, that's going to be really unique. That's going to be a different kind of a trust to operate. It's going to have unique provisions. It will not be the same type of trust that would be created for somebody without special needs. So what we usually end up telling clients in that situation is, yeah, they do need to do some things to, quote, set up the special needs trust or the trust for their brother. Uh, and uh, what they need to do is get a tax ID number, 
open an account, transfer the inheritance from the estate or the trust into that account, and begin to operate it according to the, to the rules of trust operation, including giving notice to the brother that there's a trust and, and giving him annual accountings and doing all the steps that you have to do to manage a trust. But the actual creation of the trust happened in dad's will or trust. Right, Robert. And one of the things that I think we want to make sure our listeners understand today is that that initial conversation around the administrative provisions in the trust and what you're supposed to be doing as trustee, that's a really important conversation to have. So we can help you. We'll tell you what the rules of the road are and we can provide additional assistance but I think that so many people get um, confused and stressed and they start looking around for the trust police that they actually don't do anything. And, and that's kind of the worst thing to do is right. nothing. And in fact, if there were trust police, that's what they'd be arresting you for is not doing anything. But, uh, but there aren't any trust police. The enforcement of trust is mostly by the trust beneficiary, not by the court, not by the lawyers, not by the accountants. To some extent, the IRS is involved, of course, to the extent of the taxation of the trust. But um, but there's not really an overarching trust cop who will arrest you. And I think when I considered the challenges when we're having some of these initial meetings with working with our clients who may be the nominated trustee of a subtrust, so of a trust that's established under the terms of another trust or under the terms of a will, is that um, people get pretty confused about what provisions govern their duties. And and so sometimes actually it is easier for a trustee to have a standalone trust. So in those cases, Robert, we can do sometimes uh, decanting actually. We can use the term so we don't change the beneficiary, we don't change um, the dispositive provisions, but we can actually change the administrative terms of a trust and have it be a freestanding trust. So if we get a trustee who comes in and says, I just, I'm so tired of reading through dad's will. It makes me sad every time I do it. And these three paragraphs just don't give me enough detail. Well, we can actually use those three paragraphs and create the special needs trust or the subtrust that was intended to benefit your brother um, and have it be a freestanding document. And, and we tend, as everybody should realize, to revert to special needs trust because we do so much of that work in our office, Elizabeth. But the same principles apply to any trust and, uh, and, and, uh, and any, particularly any irrevocable trust. It's also worth saying that even though your dad's trust might only be three paragraphs long, there's a whole body of Arizona law that says, uh, here are the default rules. If the trust doesn't say otherwise, there are pages and pages of rules that, that, uh, that direct the trustee how to administer the trust. Uh, and we can help with that. We can tell you what the important details are, what steps you need to take, what your duties are, um, and, uh, and help you navigate the administration of the trust. And Robert, that sometimes means that people don't want to be trustee. They can come That's into right. our office and they may say, I, I thought I wanted to help and I said I wanted to help, but actually this is really overwhelming and stressful and I just want to be a sibling. I just want to be a caregiver. I just want to be myself in my relationship with my family member and don't actually want to be in charge 
of all the bells and whistles and the money and following the rules. And so in those conversations, Robert, we can also explore possibilities with people. And one of the things that we often talk about is how to get another trustee in there or how to develop some provisions, maybe put in a trust protector provision or something where a family member can have some oversight, but not actually have the same day-to-day duties as a trustee. So here's, I think, the bottom line from this discussion. When you're when your dad writes in his will or his trust that uh, that a share of his estate should go to, to a trust for your brother and you're going to be the trustee, you don't have to do anything to, quote, create the trust or set up the trust. That's already been done. But we can give you very helpful advice. We can point you to the, the right information you need for tax purposes and accounting purposes and administering the trust. And if need be, though it's not usually needed, we can help you with modifications to the trust that might be needed uh, in order to make it operate more efficiently. But you already have the trust. It's just those three short paragraphs in your dad's will. And don't feel stupid that you didn't figure that out. Uh, You know, this is one of the things we have really, really bright clients, Robert, and people come into our office feeling just humiliated that they couldn't figure this out. It's, It's actually why you go to law school and and specialize in a particular field. This is not um, this is not something that everybody may understand right away. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, and uh, thank you, listeners. You've been listening to me, Robert Fleming, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are partners in the law firm, the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And you've been listening to Elder Law Issues. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks.